I'm Andrew Smith. This is Today in Church History, a place where we're reminded that history is truly his story. History is the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. Today is Friday, August 23, 2019. But on this day in history, August 23, 1723, Increase Mather entered the presence of the Lord. Aside from being an influential preacher in his own right, a Puritan patriarch, if you will, Increase Mather hailed from a strong Christian legacy. His father, Richard Mather, immigrated to America from England, settling in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, where he planted a church in Dorchester. Increase Mather had three brothers who also became ministers as well. His son, Cotton Mather, is one of the most well-known Puritans. Increase Mather graduated at Harvard and later became its president before being forced out due to the college's infiltration of liberalism, which opposed the traditional Calvinistic orthodoxy. Increase's mother begged him to become a minister, so he preached his first sermon on his 18th birthday. After returning to England for a period of time, he sailed back to America, and in 1664, Increase Mather was called to pastor the very large Old North Church in Boston. He ministered there for almost 60 years. He authored 175 books, including a biography of his father, as well as an historical work on the war with the Indians. He was also instrumental in ending the execution of those assumed to be witches, based upon the testimony of those who said they saw ghosts. Mather thought it was better to spare a real witch than to kill a woman only thought to be a witch, but actually wasn't one. One person living during the time of Mather's passing referred to him as, and I quote, the patriarch and prophet among us. Although taking the leading role in many important decisions among the leading clergy of New England, Increase Mather was most known for his Jeremiads. Jeremiads were sermons reflecting the likes of the sermons preached to Old Testament Israel by Isaiah and Jeremiah. These were warning sermons, calling those in New England to repentance for apathetic religion. Many of the Puritans were what we call post-millennialists. That is, they believed that God's kingdom would grow with great strength until the day the Lord returned. In fact, it's been said that his very name, Increase, was a nod to the faith that God would increasingly work through the colonies to establish a theocracy similar to Israel's. Now, regardless of your eschatological views, there is a refreshing zeal in Increase Mather's approach. He was a man who was not afraid to call people to repentance. He had a strong faith in the Lord. He upheld the law of the Lord, and he had expectations of all Christians to live holy lives. He did not mince words or speak in vague generalities, but called out specific people and specific sins which was causing the spiritual decline of Puritan New England. He called out sailors keen on immorality, businessmen obsessed with the love of money and the lacking of good integrity in their business dealings, and especially the younger generation who could not give credible professions of faith. Mather opposed the position that communion could serve as a conversion ordinance, as Solomon Stoddard taught. To Mather and many others, young people admitted into the church and allowed to partake of communion was not reassuring at all. It was very risky. It would inevitably undermine the purity of the church, opening the door to the unconverted. How could Mather call the nation to repent when the church was full of those who hadn't repented? In many cases, the young people who Mather targeted were not living immoral lives, but they simply would not join the church because they could not give a testimony of conversion. 
Now those opposing Mather were concerned, those like Solomon Stoddard and even Mather's own father Richard, that the church would dwindle down to nothing if the standards for church membership required a testimony of conversion. Now here is where history takes an ironic twist. Richard Mather, Increase's father, had earlier defended a pure visible church by wanting to restrict church membership only to those who could give testimony to their salvation. One of his close friends, another Puritan pastor named John Cotton, once told Richard Mather that it was better to admit ten hypocrites into the church than to leave out one Christian. Mather said the opposite was true. It was better to keep out ten Christians than to let one hypocrite in. Later, however, Richard Mather supported what was referred to as the halfway covenant. Increase Mather, on the other hand, had opposed his father at the halfway synod, arguing that church membership should be restricted to those with a credible profession of faith. Later, however, Increase Mather also became convinced that churches would not grow unless membership was allowed even to those who could not give a valid Christian testimony. To sum all of this up, Mather was fighting an encroaching liberalism as rationalism was spreading. The younger people were being caught up in rationalism, forsaking the biblicism they grew up hearing. They became apathetic to the scriptures. They began embracing the worldly philosophies around them. Orthodox Calvinism was diminishing, and the result was the crumbling of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And look at New England today. It is one of the most liberal in the United States with an extremely low percentage of evangelicals. This former president of Harvard would not even be welcomed on his own campus today. Now, I think there are several valuable lessons to consider from the life of Increase Mather in his battle with rationalism. First, this is not too much different than our own day. We are living in a day when scores and scores of millennials are walking away from the church. They've embraced godless worldviews and ideologies. They no longer believe the Bible they said they once did, and those professing Christians who still attend church are often not involved in their church even if they are members. Pastors who claim to be reformed are leaving Christianity, recanting it entirely. I submit that under such circumstances, we return to the approach of increased Mather and Isaiah and Jeremiah. We must lovingly but directly call people to repentance. At the same time, we must trust that nobody can snatch the true sheep from the Father's hand. Christ will raise up all the elect sheep on the last day. He promises us this in the scriptures. When we see apostasy, we aren't to be surprised. Scripture addresses apostasy often. It was common in the first century, so it will occur on our own day as well. It was even common in Old Testament Israel. And that's why Jeremiah, in these long orations of warning people, his Jeremiads as they are called, called people to repentance. We must do the same thing today as Christians. Second, we ought to evaluate our commitment to the local church. The Puritans rightly saw that without a strong and pure church, revival was simply not possible within the larger nation. Now, this does not mean that a goat won't find his or her way in the church at some point. It does not mean that we have more requirements than necessary for church membership, but we must seek to be holy and pure as the church. We must expect this within our covenant communities of worship. We must get back to church discipline. Yes, we must be willing to love a young person, or anybody for that matter, who appears to be committing apostasy. We must love them by putting them out of the church, calling them to repentance so that they might come back into the church by God's grace. What can we do? Christians can pursue holiness with fervency and zeal. We ought to be held accountable within our local church and pray for the Lord to keep us. Because if he doesn't keep us, we simply won't be kept until the last day. And third, we must be clear about the gospel in our own day. 
We are not moralists, but Christians. That is, we are not simply telling people to be good. We are calling them from their sin to turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, to escape his holy and righteous wrath. We should boldly tell a culture whose Christian foundation is crumbling to pieces that only the gospel can save us. We must do so resolutely. We must do so faithfully and boldly. This is the only hope for sinners. And be prepared because tensions are high. Hearts of anger rage against the church, sometimes and especially from those who grew up within it. But we must not back down. Let us be like the prophets and urge sinners to repent. Those who have grown up within the church will be particularly offended if they've parted away from the church. But to not say or do anything is simply not loving. It doesn't honor the Lord. Through many trials, Jesus said, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is not about us. It's about God's glory. It's not about our reputation. It's about God's reverence. It's not about how much we are loved, but how much God is loved and receives the glory. History is truly his story. It's the story of God and the demonstration of his glory in the theater of world events. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Today in Church History. I would encourage you to go to Apple iTunes and search for Today in Church History. History is spelled, remember, H-I-S hyphen S-T-O-R-Y. Go and search for it and subscribe to these podcasts. You can also visit my website, www.heartsaflame.org. There you'll find sermons, you'll find articles, and you'll find an archive of all the episodes of Today in Church History. Until next time, I'm Andrew Smith.